Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easy, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. Here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like I have an outlet for the creativity and ideas I want to share with the world. I recommend you give it a try. We all have a voice, so share it with the world. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. So Adam and Eve in the garden were given dominion over the earth. That was our mandate and our birthright. Satan comes in, messes that up. The watchers come down. Humanity makes the deal with uh, the daughters of men. The world gets worse than it's ever been. You know, arguably even to this day, worse than it's ever been in history. And God sends the flood to, to start over. Then the mandate is given again to Noah and his family. Replenish, fill, subdue the earth. You have what I believe is the sin through Noah's son Ham and a resurgence of the Nephilim DNA and all of the wickedness that went on. So that was Satan's next attempt there. And then, of course, you have the Tower of Babel. So you have all these events where the forces of darkness are trying to usurp the dominion that we are supposed to have on the earth. And then in Psalm 82, God says, you know, you will die like men. So he's talking to these sons of God that he put over these other nations. So he took Israel for himself, put the other nations with uh, these other angelic beings over them. Then Jesus comes, and we talked about it with, you know, the transfiguration and the gates of hell. He's coming to take it back. He wants, he's going to draw all men to himself now. But each of those things, you can see how it's about the ruling authority that we are meant to have on earth and in the spiritual. So isn't it interesting that the word ecclesia means a ruling council and that that is what he said he was coming to do when he went to Caesarea Philippi. He's at the gates of hell, grotesque pagan stuff going on right in there, probably in their view. And he's saying, on this rock, I'm going to build my ruling council and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I don't know if we've talked about it, but I've heard it said very clearly that gates are defensive, right? So this is an offensive from God and his his sons and daughters. This isn't hell, and we're, we're able to withstand it. It's the gates are defensive, so we are on the offense. Welcome to the Days of Noah podcast, where we talk all things biblical, supernatural, and strange. This week, we're going to get into how one word mistranslated purposely in the Bible caused an incredible shift away from the ruling council that we were meant to be in God's kingdom.
So this book that I sent you guys from Tim Kurtz, uh, well, it's actually his free ebook. His his uh, Kindle book that I'm reading is called uh, Leaving Church. Uh, shoot, <laughs> let me look it up. Leaving Church, something Ecclesia, becoming Ecclesia, or something like that. But let me just find it. Yeah, Leaving Church, Becoming Ecclesia by Tim Kurtz. And his subtitle, Because Jesus Never Said He Would Build a Church. And I was like, what? I just thought he said that. And you were saying something about something else you were reading. There was a, there was a question in a, a church history book I was reading that asked about, um, well, it, it basically put forth that Jesus was um, a Jew of the Jews. He was, he was very, very Jewish. And um, then it asked, after that, did Jesus really want to build a group called the church or or whatnot? And I know that Paul references the church in his letters, so um, I guess I would be kind of at a loss right now to even think about him not building a church. Right. No, exactly. That's what I thought, especially like we literally quoted that last week on the show. Um you know, on this rock, I will build my church. So it was really fresh in my head. Uh, yeah, so then he's got a free, it's like 89 pages ebook. And so it's a shorter, kind of more to the point version. Seven facts why Jesus didn't say he would build a church and what it means to you. All right. So I love uncovering conspiratorial things or, you know, kind of, figuring that stuff out, or if somebody else has figured out something, I love um, digging into that, those nuggets. So that appealed to me, and I was like, what is he talking about? Um, Yeah, so the King James Bible, commissioned by King James in the 1600s, and you can look this up. He's got 15 rules for his translators that he wanted them to abide by, and most of them just make sense, you know, as, as they're doing trying to do a good job. But one in particular was to translate uh, using the word church instead of ecclesia. And so what's the difference? Because I've heard people say on, on YouTube and podcasts, I've heard people use that, that term. You know, sometimes, especially like if you've ever heard of the Hebrew Roots movement, where people are like, hey, the Bible never says that we're supposed to stop keeping these laws. Why aren't we keeping all the feasts and everything, you know. Um, but I think especially in that, you know, people say Yeshua instead of Jesus and and Yod-Vei-Vav-Vei instead of Yahweh. You're like, they're trying to get more back to the roots of things. And so I think that's where I heard the word ecclesia in place of church. Well, they actually have very different meanings. Um, and it's, you can, you can look, purposely at the original language and go, is it just semantics or did they actually choose something different? So um, the word church, I don't know if I can pull it up here in this ebook, but in Greek it is, uh, it's like korikon or something like that. I don't know if I can find it real quick. Um, But anyway, and ekklesia means called out, or assembly. Um, so there are a few versions of the Bible that translate it as assembly or congregation, but almost every version we have calls it church. 
Well, what's the difference? Well, in Greek, it was that korakon or whatever the word starts with a K. And that's not the word Jesus said and the New Testament writers said. Over a hundred times they use that word. Um, so it actually has the idea of a ruling council. And versus a church was actually more of a pagan concept of, you know, gathering in a temple and um, kind of that whole structure, which the Jews would have been used to because that was the Old Testament way. You had the presence of God in the temple. That's where you gathered and so on. So then you kind of wonder, is it a distinction without a real difference? Um, but the reason King James apparently didn't want that word in the Bible that he was commissioning to translate um, has to do with his belief in the divine right of kings. So that idea that God, uh, any, any monarch is commissioned by God in the place of God as a small g God. And therefore... You know, what What I say as a monarch is without question the law. And so a ruling council um, is something that would be a challenge to him. So he didn't want that. And he, he wanted this system with the bishops and so on where, where he had the control. And wasn't so like the Puritans and like the pilgrims and everything... Wasn't that out of that same system that they left and came here? Well, I know that the Puritans and the Pilgrims left because they didn't have the religious freedoms that they wanted to have. They had, um, they still had a uh, Christianity basis, but they uh, worshipped in different ways, and they wanted to um, put their lives together in different ways uh, than than was allowed. And I, I'm not sure if that had to do with um, escaping the Catholic Church or the Church of England or which one. I'm I'm just not certain. Yeah, I think it was the Church of England. And wasn't it around that same time? Was it the 1600s? Well, you had Columbus, obviously, 1492. But then Pilgrims, Puritans. Yeah, I believe, I believe so. Is that about right? So, somewhere in there. So, yeah, I wonder if that has something to do with just the kind of person King James was, maybe if it was in his lifetime. Um, I guess reading a little bit about him, he he was well-learned in scholarship and religious history and so on. So he was very well-versed in those things. Um not as much of a like a warrior type king, but more of a scholar, and so I think it was very deliberate uh, his his choice. Oh, you looked it up. Sixteen twenty yep. is when we came to Plymouth Rock. It says uh, arrival at Plymouth. The Mayflower arrived in New England on November eleventh, sixteen twenty. Voyage of sixty six days. Yeah, so that would be interesting to explore that connection of what was church-like in that time period. Um, around the time, strangely, that we have this highly venerated version of the Bible, which I'm not trying to disparage one, one bit, um, you know, because 
I look up to the King James version, and I th- I think there's a lot of good things that came out of it that even some of our modern translations don't get right. But then there are things in our modern translations that do a better job because of more texts that have been found. Well, and I'm I'm one of those people who jumps back and forth and back and forth between um, the different translations. Because I'll uh, I'll be reading King James and feeling more spiritual, and then I'm reading it and I'm like, what did, what what did I just read? <laughs> right. And so then I'll go to, you know, an NLT or NIV or you know New King James, right? And figure it out at that point. Um, but there's there's lots of uh, uh, I do I do have that great respect for King James version, yeah. and um, I even used to. Uh, pray in kind of a King James way when I would uh, be in real big trouble. Sure. <laughs> you thought maybe you were Probably. getting heard, getting, uh, cutting, cutting through the mix to heaven a little better? Exactly. That's what I was, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. that's what I was thinking. No, um, yeah, and uh, so a few years ago I was like, oh, I, sh- I should get a new King James because I don't want all the these, thous, yees, and all that. I want it to be a little more common spoken to our language. And... What I found is, yeah, it's that, but it's also translated differently. I wish there was a version, you'd almost have to do it yourself manually or something, that was the King James, but with those words removed. But then, I'm correcting myself, right? So then I learned like a year or two ago that uh, it's actually good to have ye and those types of words in there because they're more precise, because there are times where the the Hebrew or the Greek is talking about you as in one person or you as in many, like y'all. And we don't necessarily have a good word for that in English as precise. And that's why, the well, we do ye, but, but that's why those words were used. So if you see, you know, thou and thy and ye and... and there's like two versions for each, and one is when you're talking to one person, one is when you're talking to several. So it's actually more precise that way. Well, and and I I think that the the part of uh, of that type of language is has a certain beauty to it and a certain um, kind of rolling off the tongue. I mm-hmm. think where I run into problems uh, in understanding certain passages it has to do with kind of the syntax and the way that the sentences are put together. Yeah, uh, sometimes I just don't know what they're saying uh but right that's that's on me and you know and when i don't understand something i need to go look it up yeah yeah and i know i know a lot of christians talk about like god the holy spirit preserving his word over the ages and you know how can we trust our bible well god would have preserved it and i think as i've learned the last few months it's not preserved necessarily in our language but it is definitely preserved in Hebrew, in Greek, in those more precise languages. And so where we have translation issues or, or questions, you know, we can go back to those. Yeah, so you looked this up. Uh, when did the, why did the pilgrims leave England in 1620? So that was only nine years after the King James Bible was, was completed. Uh, they came in, of course, we heard this growing up in school, I think. Um, I wonder what the history books say nowadays. I think they change every once in a while. They probably don't say anything about religious freedom or anything like that. They they make uh, travelers to the New World more of the bad guys. But 
and some of them were. Uh, at the time, England required its citizens to belong to the Church of England. People wanted to practice their religious be- beliefs freely, so many fled to the Netherlands and, of course, uh, coming over to America. So, yeah, I think that would be really fascinating to uh, research what what church was like then. Um, but if you go back to the first few hundred years of Christianity, people met in houses, and it was very vibrant and and a lot of freedom and creativity. And then it became more institutionalized with Constantine making it like the official religion. And then, you know, meeting and going back to meeting in temples and stuff. And I guess a a little bit I looked up on him. He was like a sun worshiper. And actually even the the word um, church has some relation to some some pagan stuff having to do with that. And then of course we have, you know, Sunday became the day of worship. Um so I think there's some ties to that. But anyway, I that's kind of my own a little bit on my own journey of figuring out church or ecclesia because a few years ago I was reading, you know, Francis Chan. Yes. Okay, so I was reading a couple of his books. One of them he's got called Letters to the Church. He's talking about going over to China, hearing about what what how they do things as believers. And then they asked him what's what's it like in America and he explains like our Sunday morning ritual with the services and music and the sermon and they they're la- they're like doubled over laughing like it like he was a comedian. Because they couldn't believe that's what we do. Um, And then even over there, when the persecution let up, he said that the pastors over there were really frustrated because people got comfortable and they weren't, it was hard to motivate them. Um, So that's some things that are going on in discussion in my family is, um, is, is this structure that we've been used to for hundreds of years salvageable? Or do you have to have an entirely new structure um, to be able to work? And then learning that this word was deliberately mistranslated. And what does that actually mean for, you know, what Jesus was trying to build? So I was talking to my wife about this last night. And just kind of the big picture, right? So Adam and Eve in the garden were given dominion over the earth. That was our mandate and our birthright. And then... Satan comes in, messes that up. Uh, The Watchers come down. Humanity makes the deal with uh, the daughters of men. The world gets worse than it's ever been, you know, arguably even to this day, worse than it's ever been in history. And God sends the flood to, to start over. And then the mandate is given again to Noah and his family, replenish, fill, subdue the earth. Okay, then um, you have what I believe is the sin through Noah's son Ham and a resurgence of the Nephilim DNA and all of the wickedness that went on. And the whole reason that Israel struggled with with worshiping other gods and these other nations is because they didn't deal with them how God commanded to. Joshua did. He was, you know, kicking tail against these uh, these giant tribes. 
but after he died, then we kind of lost steam there. So that was, you know, Satan's next attempt there. And then, of course, you have the Tower of Babel. So you have all these events where um, the, the forces of darkness are trying to usurp the dominion that we are supposed to have on the earth. And then you have, you know, Mike Heiser talking about um, another mistranslation, Deuteronomy 32. Most translations will say sons of Israel. Um, but Israel wasn't established yet. And it's correctly translated sons of God. So he divides up the nations, takes Israel for himself. He says, okay, I started with, you know, Adam and Eve. Then we had problems. Then I started with Noah and his family. Then we had problems. Okay, now I'm making a people for myself. Then we have problems. <laughs> so then, um, and then in, uh, is it, I think Psalm 82, um, God says, you know, you will die like men. So he's talking to these sons of God that he put over these other nations. So he took a Israel for himself put the other nations over with uh, these other angelic beings over them. Then Jesus comes, and we talked about it with, you know, the transfiguration and the gates of hell. He's coming to take it back. He wants, he's going to draw all men to himself now, right? So now we're in a new age. And, but each of those things, you can see how it's about the ruling authority that we are meant to have on earth and in the spiritual so isn't it interesting that the word ecclesia means a ruling council and that that is what he said he was coming to do when he went to Caesarea Philippi, he's at the gates of hell. You know, there's grotesque pagan stuff going on right in there, probably in their view, as I've, I've read some people describe it, at, at the gates of uh, Pan, where Pan is worshipped. And he's saying, I'm going to... On this rock, I'm going to build my ruling council, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I don't know if we've talked about it, but I've heard it said very clearly that gates are defensive, right? So this is an offensive from God and his his sons and daughters. This isn't, you know, hell, and we're, we're able to withstand it. It's the gates are defensive, so we are on the offense, one one thing that has uh, come up over and over in the in the Bible and in my reading has been um, whenever something needs to be decided, they would always go to the gates of the city, certain gates where uh, the elders would sit and they would make decisions on things. Um, one of the one of the ones I just got done reading was um, if a uh, if a brother dies and his brother fails to take on the husbandly duties with the widow of his brother, uh, he's brought to the gate, and if he still refuses, then the uh, widow uh, gets to take off uh, his sandal and spit in 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 his face, basically wow. in front of the whole uh, ah. in front of the whole uh, congregation, if you will, or the the whole gate. And so it seems like lots of serious things happen there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that's I, I tried to get in, in touch with um, Tim Kurtz, and I'm gonna I'm gonna keep trying. Um, he looks like he's in his late 60s, early 70s. Um, African American guy. Him and his his wife Carolyn, I think it is. So his his Facebook is like 
Tim Carolyn Kurtz, I think it is. But uh, that's where I um, – and then I looked up um, – uh, he runs this thing called the Ecclesia Center. That's where I found that that ebook, that free book. Um, gosh, and I can't even – honestly, it's only been like a week since I discovered all that. But uh, I can't even think of how I found it initially if he was – Maybe I was searching through the face my Facebook page or something, but anyway, it rang it it rang some bells for me because it was a couple years ago that I read you know Francis Chan's Letters to the Church, and then there were some other books um, from George Barna and Frank Viola. Uh, Pagan Christianity was a good one, and then um, Frank Viola I think is the one that wrote. Finding Organic Church and Reimagining Church. So I'm kind of going back to those Kindle books that I have. And at the time I read them, I wasn't really like I was very intrigued and I'm like, yeah, I think this is right. We're not we're not doing church the way we we ought to or the way the, you know, first couple century believers after Christ did. Um but that's like that's a big decision. It's a family decision, of course, and I don't think any of us were ready at that point. Um, but I'm personally feeling more of a a calling to to explore that, as messy and wild as that might be, because I think I think there's a lot of things about the way we've done church that they accomplish a lot of the same things. Like they're not ineffective, totally. But they end up being um, they end up being more inefficient, more limiting, um, and things like that. And so, yeah, I think I just find it fascinating that you have this this word translated. You know, well, when I uh, when I was down south, um, uh, it was before I was saved, though. But um, you go to churches, and they they have a different order of things down there in a lot of uh in a lot of the places where they'll have um they'll have a song or whatever and then they'll have the children all come up around the altar and then the pastor will just talk to the children Hmm. in front of everybody and then of course then the service would go on as a normal one i think that the uh i think that the church devolves when there is uh national comfort and I believe that the church evolves when there's horrible persecution because the prayers, my prayers right now are, you know, Lord, can I play guitar better or something like that. And in a persecuted country, it would be something completely different. I wouldn't yeah. even want to guess what it would be, but yeah. it would be, it'd be completely different and it would have to be done in secret. Yeah, please, please help Brother Don not die as he tries to get a Bible to this Muslim that's interested. Right, you and know? <laughs> yes, and pray that that person, you know, really wants that Bible and they're not setting him up and our whole yes. church up and, you know. For an ambush. Yeah. Exactly. Um yeah, I just I was talking to my wife about this morning, like how much of our resources, time, and money go towards overhead in the in the traditional model. And um, I can't remember if it was one of these books that I mentioned from Frank Viola or George Barna or or Francis Chan or some some other place I read this, but you know Airbnb has more rooms than the Hilton in the world, 
right? And think how much overhead Hilton has. Um, so it is just a much more unencumbered, unhindered, nimble force. You know, it's a soldier with 30 pounds on his back versus a soldier with 120 pounds on his back. You know, he's the 120 pound pack. He's got other things to deal with, other things to contend with. And I think all churches become that. That was one of the statistics that I noticed uh, or I found rather when we made a switch from our church two years ago to our current was that when you get past about 15, 20 years old as a church, the focus becomes inward and less outward. And that's just a natural progression of taking care of the needs and desires of your congregational body. Um, But I like how uh, uh, in Francis's book, one Chinese pastor put it, he said, I don't want my congregation members to be here for more than five years. Because if they're here five years and haven't, I haven't equipped them to go out and do ministry how they're gifted, then I'm doing something wrong. You know, I, it's, it's like we think in America like the good Christian thing is to be part of a, a church or maybe you switch once or twice in your life, but you are a member and you are faithfully attending and that's what you do your whole life. Um, And I think it is very helpful and useful, and it gives, especially less mature, it gives us the spiritual milk that we need. But at some point, we got to have the meat, right? And, um, you know, Francis uh, uses the analogy of a zoo. You take the animals and put them in the zoo, and yeah, it's still a tiger, but it's not operating in the way that it was meant to in the wild. Um, So it's a little messier that way, but... (laughs) Well, and and my my wife and I decided to uh, um, leave our church. Um, I'd been going there twenty years, and she'd been going there for a lot longer than that since she was a child. And we left. Uh, obviously, when COVID came in, it changed a lot of things, mm-hmm. and and um, but it caused us to kind of have a reset. Um, we didn't want to we didn't want to walk away from our friends and our family and our church family, um, but it. And I hate to use the word feelings because, you know, we can't really trust our feelings on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, we just we just really felt like we needed to change and, and go to this other church. The new church we're going to has more of a, um, it has an outreach um, uh, ministry into the colleges. And yeah. it, it also has uh, one of their, one of the doctrines that they hold to is that, uh, it's not necessarily the five years, but um, and it's funny you say five years because yeah. uh, there's a new pastor that just came and he's training for five years and then he's going to go to Milwaukee. Okay. And, uh, and plant? And plant. Wow. And so all these, um, our churches looked at as, you know, a, a mother church, if you will. Right. And uh, wanting to have as many babies as possible. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And that's one of the things that drew us to the current place that we're at. Um, so I think I think that, that that church can be done in in a way that is more outward focus and church planting and all of that. Um, so yeah, so it's not ineffective. Yeah, it's it's more of uh, maybe less effective or more 
more encumbered with with you know the overhead of a building and you think about it like you know some of the things we talk about well church should be like this it should be like that you know uh, uh jed Payne on his podcast uh, he said you know going through aa he's like church should be more like this <laughs> and and so you might hear the the common response well that's what small groups are for well, what often happens in small groups, unless you just have a really, you really got blessed with a right mix of people, is we end up doing the same thing we do on Sunday morning. 80% of us are passive and the other 20% are doing all the heavy lifting. And so you get people that don't talk, that don't share, that, you know, it's hard to get people motivated. We're too comfortable. And then you have to ask yourself, why are we spending all this money so we can meet for a couple hours a week collectively, but then say the real stuff is supposed to happen in small group for free. That's challenging to me. That, that is a, kind of a, an argument to, to be had. Yeah. So anyway, these, these are the things I'm exploring and I kind of feel like, uh, you know, personally just in the last couple of years, not being able to, assimilate as much as I've wanted to, like with the worship team and things, you know, that maybe it's a little easier to, to revisit these things that I read about a couple years ago and seriously consider them for now, uh, versus a couple years ago when I was, you know, regularly serving and so on. I think that's definitely a lot harder to, to leave at that point. And like you said, you've got all the, the family and friends connections and like, it's a big culture shock to try to do something like that. But well, yes. And, and, you know, obviously leaving a church, uh, I was saved at a, at a later age in life. And so, um, I, in a way had mentors, you know, from that specific church that I, in a way have, I don't want to say I've walked away from them, but um, when it comes to, and this is just an opinion and please nobody get offended. Um, but Christians are really weird when it comes to friendship. Okay. Um, and that's just, it's my own, my own take because it's like, you can be just tight with people for 20 years and then all of a sudden you decide you're going to go worship down the street instead of with them on Sunday and then everything becomes awkward and it becomes strange and you run into them in the grocery store mm -hmm. and you know you don't know what to say and and um the way that the way that I would always hope it would be would be that um you know when we're brothers in Christ we're brothers in Christ period yeah uh, you know but I I do also understand that awkwardness because when I was brand new in the church brand new saved and I saw somebody leaving the church you know, my first thought was, "Oh, are they even saved? They're mm. they're leaving this church, right?" I What's mean, wrong are, with are you? Yeah, exactly. And so, I, I understand both sides of the of the coin. Do you think people are almost defensive and and in in having like a, a guilty conscience or feeling like they have to explore that they have to be defensive or have a guilty conscience? Because if somebody says, especially in our case, where we told the leadership a couple of years ago, hey, you know, um, we're we're not happy with a few of these things. We feel like 
this is not the direction that it ought to go. And here's this place over here that is more outward focused. Do you think when people hear that, they, they get defensive and they, they feel like they have to justify them staying in order to not feel bad? Because if, because if you're right, if you're saying that to them and you're right, then why are they staying? Because they have to wrestle with that. I think that um, the uh, the outward focus argument I think is is a, is really it's a good it's a good argument and I think I think people do leave churches for those types of reasons. Um, however, I think it has to come it has to come home to roost because you can be a part of any church and then you can still do your own outreach. And so um, the way that I would I don't know the way that I would look. Yeah, go ahead. The way that I would look at that specifically would be, you know, there's the two types of churches. There's the church that does outreach, and there's the church where you just kind of have sponges in the in the pews. Yeah. And um, I became a sponge for a long time, and in going to this other church, I'm starting to wake up in those other areas, but unfortunately, I'm still a sponge. Right. And so I still have a lot of growing to do. Well, that's understandable, and I think we all have that to some degree. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking about like the awkwardness that you were talking about. Like, um, yeah, I think people feel when they hear your reasons. Uh, like if you're trying to make maybe a um a biblical case, let's say, or or an evangelistic case that hey, I'm moving on because you guys aren't doing something right. I think it gets awkward when. When they see you and they they know that your reasons, but they're still going. There's only one person in our church that I know that ever left for a reason like that, who I believe really meant it, mm. and it actually you know tries to live by that. Yeah, um, I think it's too easy to make uh, arguments that sound really good, but then. They're coming from the flesh. They're coming from the flesh, and then that is so easy. Yep. And then when the flesh, when it comes down to, you know, the boot boot leather hitting the road, it it doesn't happen. No, I know that's just it. It's like you want to spread your wings, and then you end up realizing, wow, now I'm not doing as much as I was before, and the whole reason I left is because I thought I was going to have more opportunities or I was going to be more free. I definitely think it's more vulnerable to you know, your own weaknesses and the enemy's attacks when you're going to try to go off on your own, that's for sure. You know, and there is, you know, elder oversight as well that you would want to have if you had a, if you had a, a community of house churches in the area that, you know, you met different places each week or something, you would hopefully identify people with that maturity because the eldership is pretty clearly established. That's a way that you know, that the ecclesia is supposed to operate. Um, but not in a hierarchical sense, in a, in a overseeing, serving, you know, shepherding sense. Well, I, I think what you might be talking about is um, is the church in the book of Acts. Yeah. Which, to, to an American who is privileged, and I, and I say that I'm privileged because of just simply where I live, 
and and the uh, the things that uh, I have available to me compared to you know people around the world. Right. Um, well, Luke says he's uh, available, so I asked him to shoot us a link here if he wants to jump in. Okay. Um, and I don't know if we'll we'll get to the Tim Bentz stuff. Um, we can we can see, but maybe maybe let's ask him his thoughts on some of the stuff we've talked about this morning. Well, anyway, this morning we haven't got into any of the Tim Tim Benz Canaanite altar stuff. We might save it for next time since we're into, you know, we're forty minutes in, and we just thought we'd just chat, even if you couldn't make it this morning. And we've been talking about uh, ecclesia versus church because I came across this guy Tim Kurtz. And I don't know if you had a chance to look at any of the things I sent out on that. It was busy week, and no, I yep, I didn't. that's all right. But um, he's got a free ebook that I I sent out I think six days ago to you guys that gets right to the point of it. But then he's got, also got some Kindle books you can buy that go into a little greater detail. But uh, so Don and I were kind of talking about uh, King James Bible, what was going on in the Church of England, um. You know, the whole story of, like, the pilgrims coming over and wanting religious freedom. And it's in that context that King James uh, commissioned this Bible to be translated. Well, here's what's interesting. So, he had some rules for how he wanted his translators to go about this. And one of the rules was to purposely mistranslate a word. So the word for church is, and I, I keep, I'm probably saying it wrong, but it starts with a K. It's like kirikon or something like that. And that's a Greek word. Well, that's actually not the word that Jesus used, that uh, the New Testament writers used. They used the Greek word ekklesia. So um, church is where we get that, the, the Greek word from the K, and that has a, a different meaning. Whereas ecclesia is more about um, being a governing body, a ruling council, um, called out ones is is how it's translated. And so I was talking to Don just kind of all through the history from Adam and Eve to Noah to Israel, like we were meant to have dominion. And then like we just talked about last week, Jesus at the gates of hell. Uh, saying on this rock, I will build my ruling council is really what he was saying. Um, so we don't we don't have to rehash all of that stuff, but uh, that's kind of what I'm exploring, and it ties into some of these other books that I've I've gotten a couple years ago from Francis Chan, Letters to the Church, where he's talking about how different church is in like China, and how we're very very comfortable in our in our western way and it's less wild and it's less free and creative and so on so any thoughts on that stuff I mean, maybe that's all new info yeah i haven't researched any of that um it, it maybe some questions pop in my head that i would want to know i mean obviously the the pilgrims and, and those that were coming over to the new world seeking religious freedom. But if they're seeking freedom, what was the restrictions? What was the, per, maybe not persecution, but 
what was the limitations that they were experiencing in their countries, be it the Church of England, because um, it was the Church of England that was commissioning the the translation of the of of the King James Bible. So when you're bringing up kind of you know those points in the mistranslation of the word church, which was done by the governing body of the Church of England, you know what what were they trying to do to stifle the you know the believers of that day and right. why why did they want out i don't i don't have those answers yeah um, that's that was talking to don a little while ago i was like i think that would be a a good next step for us to figure out what was that culture like well one of the one of the motives was that um and there's a quote from from King James here I can pull up, but uh, he very much believed in the idea of the divine right of kings, and that idea that a monarch is basically a god on earth and not to be challenged in any way. And so that it has a lot of ramifications for why he would not have wanted uh, the word translated properly, but instead church because he wanted that hierarchy and it has it has more connotations that way that would have kept people in line so maybe maybe that's a clue then um that the monarchy that was even to this day present in england um the believers back then were like we don't we don't want I mean, look at the Old Testament, right? When the Israelites wanted a king because the neighboring nations had a king. And what did Jehovah want? He's like, no, I'm your king. You only need me. But he went ahead and gave him Saul. We know the whole story, right? Well, here, fast forward, you know, a millennium, you know, or so, uh, we got the Church of England. And the people are like, no, we have Jehovah God as our king. We don't need a king of England. We don't need a pope. We don't need, you know, we've got the word of God and we're, we want freedom. So right. maybe it's as simple as that. I think so. I mean, you look at the structure that, you know, the reformers were railing against, right? Um, so all the way back from... You know, Constantine making the the institution of the church um, and how that changed what, what the first few centuries of believers were doing. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a challenge to what uh, Jesus was, was trying to rebuild. I also think it's interesting, too, I was listening to um, uh, Blurry Creatures episode 22 with uh, Judd Burton and and he had this like 3 a.m. revelation. He woke up and he had this thought about the you know the word Rephaim and how it is it possible it's tied to the where we get the word king. And so he did a search and and just a cursory search found like 80 references to like every all these different languages have that same ra or re like in Spanish it's re. 
And then in Latin, I think it's rex. So you have all this root word language that is tied to, you know, Rephaim, right? Which were the Nephilim after the flood. So that's really interesting, especially because we've talked about it. The they were set up as the rulers. They took authority upon themselves because they literally were demigods. You know, so maybe that whole idea of the divine right of kings came from that idea. And um, on uh, Jed Payne's uh, uh, appearance with uh, with Nate and Luke on Blurry Creatures, he's talking about that. He's like, how did the first kings say, I have a right to be or it's going to be me and not you? Like it was probably a bloodline thing. You know, so, yeah. But I think that's really interesting how that um, translate into kind of the modern trappings of how we do church. And so it's something I'm I'm exploring more. But um, so, yeah, uh, I'll send that to you guys again if you want to look into that. I think that's really eye-opening. But, yeah, I would like to see, like, more of the culture that that they were trying to get away from in England. Um yeah, man, it's just huge ramifications for how we do things. So much tradition, so many rules of men in a lot of ways. Yeah, and and uh, if we're ignorant to it, um, I mean, we have it. I mean, that's part of our American history, you know. Mm-hmm. And rightly understanding church history and American history in that regard, it's it'd probably be. I mean, a worthwhile study. Um, yeah. So I think so. Yeah, and then, um, and then maybe for next time we can we can talk about to uh, uh, Tim Benz's uh, interview. I don't know if you had a chance to re-listen to that, but I was able to find the one that I listened to years ago with Rob Skiba, where he kind of lays out his whole uh, spiritual battle stuff overseas. Um, in the Middle East and Germany and so on, dealing with these ancient Canaanite altars and then coming back to the U.S. and being worn out and tired and just wanting to go home. And God says, I have one more assignment for you and says, I need you to go to Jekyll Island, Georgia. And, of course, we know from history, from Dr. Laura Sanger from uh, G. Edward Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, that's where the Federal Reserve System was born. Um, So incredible ties to ancient evil and, you know, the stuff that got me interested in wanting to have these discussions in the first place, the Nephilim. That's, That's what the Canaanites were. Um, and, and probably the, uh, the big word diaspora, the, the spreading out, you know, because they were getting trampled by, by Joshua and God's armies, uh, that they spread out. And some of them probably came overseas. We know that from Brian Forster's work, you know, the, the elongated skulls in South America, right? The, the, the highest concentration of these, uh, beings was in, Peru, but then also the Black Sea area. So we know that there was a migration. Um, 
so these yeah these Canaanites they uh, these giants they moved all over the world when they were getting their tail whipped by Joshua and company. And here it is that uh, I don't want to spoil it, but ties to the Federal Reserve. We'll we'll save some of the details for next time that are pretty fascinating. But maybe maybe we, maybe we want to get into uh, Dr. Laura's book too. Have you read that whole thing, Luke? No, I I, I didn't go in detail uh, through it. Um, I kind of skimmed different chapters, certain okay. chapters I, I I did go through. But no, I haven't. haven't I need to repurchase it, uh, or even the Kindle version. Well, you... I think it's ten bucks on Kindle. Oh yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, that's a resource. She did a lot of a lot of work to get all that info. Yeah, that's a thick book. You gave me the paperback. Yeah. I wonder if they have an Audible. Me and Don need the Audible, or else we'll we'll take a year to get through it. <laughs> I love the Audible. Yeah, <laughs> I do, man. You can put it on in the bathroom, on a, on the commute. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's only lacking when you need to look something up. That's where. So a lot of times you can buy the Kindle, and then for another seven forty nine, you can get the Audible upgrade if it's available. Yeah, that's so how that's I did really the helpful. Creature then, yeah. from Jekyll Island because that's a that's okay. a thick book. It's a twenty four hour audio uh, recording, mm. but I was doing busy work, part time work, you know, and just listening to that and uh, amazing story. Uh, one of my favorites, and it's yeah, and it's a true story. You know, it's history. It's it's wild. It is. Another another thing he wrote, if you didn't know, was uh, World Without Cancer. And he has a a really, uh, it's funny to see the, the graphics and stuff, but he has an old, old, like, I don't know, 70s or 80s documentary. I think it's still on YouTube on that. And his, his discovering about uh, amygdalin, the, uh, vitamin B17, and how it's like, like a heat-seeking missile for cancer cells. And this tribe over in China that their whole diet was based on uh, the apricot, and the the kernels inside the pit have this vitamin B seventeen, and and no one ever got cancer. And so that's that's an interesting story in and of itself. You want to talk about conspiracy, you know, creature from Jekyll Island for sure. But then also his his other book, G. Edward Griffin, World Without Cancer, because when they were trying to um, synthesize this as a drug uh the sloan kettering institute in new york deliberately falsified the studies to show that it had no benefit so we can uh we'll save that for another show oh here's another one for another show yeah um so i heard this uh conspiracy theory very recently where Mm -hmm. if, if you've seen the price of eggs yes so there's apparently ties to um, a food processor who um, I guess these chickens are eating all the same type of food that are coming from the same company. Yes. And all of a sudden they stopped laying eggs right around last September. And um, then what ended up happening was is, uh, you've had that, that big fire in that, in that uh, company mm-hmm. that lost 100,000 plus chickens or whatever and now the company that's producing all of the uh all of this food for the chickens is upgrading in huge huge ways to produce eggs so it's Mm. just kind of just kind of one of those strange ones out there well if you guys 
seen all of the stories of different food processing plants having fires and planes crashing into them the last two years. I don't know about the planes crashing, yeah. but I've heard I've heard that they've had a lot of fires. Yeah, planes crashing into like, you know, General Mills or potato processing plants, all this stuff. It's insane. Tucker Carlson has has documented it. There's like a couple dozen different food places um i think just mainly u.s but yeah yeah i've seen that too I, I i don't know them in detail but uh, i've seen the the report and yeah tucker has reported on it um it, it i don't how is that not a, 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 a it's not a coincidence you know when you have that many i mean I'm a fire service. Don, you're a detective. When you have repeating incidents going on, there's patterns forming, you know, and somebody has to put two and two and three and 10 and how many fires, you know, put all that stuff together and be like, there's a connection somewhere. And we know just from simple common sense, you know, if, if, if it's dealing with food, you know, whoever controls food controls the people, you know, and how the, and I go to a small farmer for fresh, uh, in, fresh food, um, milk and stuff. And, and, and how the, the little farmer has just been squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and put out of business, you know, and, and it's, it's the big companies that are dominating the market. Right which they have they have a monop- monopoly on things. And and even more so with COVID with the lockdowns, it was the the large companies that were able to uh survive and consolidate, you know, just like Great Depression, you had you had the the deep pockets buying up everything for pennies on the dollar. Um interestingly enough, you know, you talk about um Israel being enslaved for 400 years, it seems like from one thing I was listening to, that came about because of the famine, if you remember. And then Joseph, he was put in charge so that Egypt would would flourish and everybody had to go buy grain from them. Well, they had to sell all their land off. So they became indentured to Egypt. So that's how that slavery came about was the, was a consolidation of power and resources. Well, yeah, there you go again. So it was Egypt that controlled the food mm-hmm. and then controlled the people around them. Yeah. And then you uh you um during the the great recession 0809, you had all these banks fail and you if you've done any research on the FDIC, which is a total sham oh yeah because there's there's not enough money in the the you know no it's like a tenth of a percent it's gonna you know two hundred and fifty thousand or whatever Uh that's not enough if one bank closes there's not enough money to pay all the people in that bank no but all all they do is a bigger bank will buy up the smaller banks right and there's a list you could look at the big banks the chase the bank america's the uh, the city, you know, it's the big guys that are buying up all these small banks. So there's, from that time to to present, that's even 
become few and fewer and fewer, you know. And and a big uh, a big change with that, Luke, was uh I think it was the nineties that there were so there was a law that separated investment banks from whatever the other kind of bank is. And that was repealed, I think, in the nineties under Clinton. And that's where you had Citigroup and these things form. So now they could they could basically do both things at once where legally before they were not allowed to. So that plays a lot into it. But it's in, it's interesting that you bring up the banks right there as we're kind of wrapping up because uh, that's exactly the judgment that, that God had on the banks in 07-08 and is directly tied to Tim Benz's, uh story with Jekyll Island. So as a segue to next time, let's... Um, Let's ponder that, and if you if you haven't uh, revisited that episode uh, with Rob Skiba, I think his his show. Um, poor guy died uh, what a year ago or so, but his show was uh, I think Revolutionary Radio Podcast or something like that. Um, so that'll be really good to go through, and then yeah, maybe we'll dig into to Laura, Dr. Laura's book, and we'll look at some of the church england stuff just to get an idea of what what was going on i I bet we'll probably find some similarities to the um abuses that you know luther was was railing against with the with catholicism so that should be interesting yeah should we wrap it up for there sounds good sounds good sounds like a plan all right. Well, thanks for popping in, man. Um, I didn't hear from you, so I wasn't sure what to do. So I was, I was happy to have Don here to chat church history and stuff. Yeah, right up yeah my, my phone was on silent from class. And, oh, I forgot about that. And uh, Yeah, that, I was in class 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. That's right. And uh, just a lot of sitting, a lot of knowledge, a lot of notes dealing with uh, retired chiefs um, from New York City, Fire Department, New Jersey, uh, chief uh, from Texas. Wow. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of knowledge, and it was, it was an officer class for lieutenants and above. Nice. Um, so people from around the country were there. Yep. Um, little smaller turnout than their last uh, officer development class. I think they had around 650 last time. Okay. We had about 400 or something. The weather was weird out there at the beach. Yeah. It's, I don't, uh, it was really foggy. <laughs> foggy. Yesterday was cool and windy and I did get out on the beach uh, at least two days. For Are you back home now? Be- beach walk. Yeah. Right. Okay. Last night. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. We got done with class uh, around five, uh, five o'clock last night and drove back. So, cool. You know, it's about a about a three and a half hour drive. Okay. You know. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, and um so I think we're all set for the twenty sixth uh Sunday afternoon with Jed Payne. It's gonna come on and we'll hear about his his story. Uh he of course is the host of uh Church and Other Drugs podcast and he's got like two hundred and sixty episodes. I think he's doing been doing this for like six years now. Because it was I think four years when he was on Blurry Creatures the first time. He he had been doing it already for four years. 
and lucky okay. guy. Lucky, yeah, I, I yeah. listened to his episode, uh, the blurry one, and um, yeah. So, I, I probably need to tap into some of his podcast stuff. At least check out the titles. Just go to um, if, to for starters. Get uh, listen to the Mike Heiser ones. Those are really good. Lucky guys had him on the show like three times. I sent a okay. message to Mike. And I said, hey, I know you're dealing with cancer and you're super busy and I'm like, but it would be such an honor. But I understand if you can't. <laughs> so we'll see if he writes. Maybe he'll write back. We'll see. I think it's cool that he taught at UW-Wisconsin, UW-Madison. Did he really? Yes. Huh. Yes. He was a professor right here. So pretty awesome. Was that dealing with the Hebrew studies? Probably. I would think that would be in line with what he's written about and stuff so anyway yeah let's wrap up for now and we'll we'll chat about what to chat about next week all right all right sounds good all right see you guys listening to the days of noah podcast thanks again for tuning in as always don't forget to like share and subscribe feel free to reach out to us with any questions or comments or suggestions for the show at the days of noah podcast at gmail.com and we will see you again next week god bless